0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, sitting in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and as usual, sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor.
1: Um, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and thank those who are allowing us to be in their homes this evening.
0: Yes, we appreciate you taking time out of your Tuesday evening or making time in your Tuesday evening activities in order to listen to That's Truth and not only listen but to join in. And let me also encourage you, don't just listen yourself, but encourage others to tune in. Maybe it's a friend in another part of the world. Maybe it is your neighbor. Maybe it's a family member just down the hall. Go ahead and encourage them to tune in to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and listen to That's Truth. Pastor, we're going to start out tonight's episode with a few questions that have come in uh, since last week's episode. Uh, our questions we didn't get to last week. The first one is: Why did God tell David, "The sword will not depart from his house"? And what was the sword then?
1: Well, I think the reference the person is referring to is Second Samuel chapter twelve, verse ten. I don't know if you can just read that hurriedly for us, please.
0: Second Samuel chapter twelve and verse ten says, "Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me." and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife.
1: So the question as to why is actually stated in that verse. It's stated that David had despised God, and he had taken the wife of Uriah. So the explanation for why God has decreed that the sword would not depart from David's house is part of the punishment or the retribution for the consequence of David's heartless, brutal, sinful action when he took Uriah's wife and he not only committed adultery with her uh, because of his illicit affair, but in order to cover up his adultery, David ended up murdering him. But even worse than that, to to commit the murder, David actually practiced deception and betrayal of a worse kind. And to, to add insult to injury, after he had killed the man, he then turned around and married his, his wife. And the Lord said as a result of that, um, I'm going to cause... Uh, your punishment and it's going to be very very severe and the word here, when it said you have despised me simply means that uh, david has rejected how did david reject god because david rejected the moral law david knew that under the economy of law uh the commandments were given that thou shall not commit adultery so it's no excuse for what david did he was fully aware of what god expected but yet he went contrary to that and then god said a result of that the sword will not depart from your house, and what that really means is that violence and war would mark the entire dynasty of David. And you will find um, in David's own family, um, the Lord uh, allowed the slaughter of his son Ammon by his brother Absalom, and then Absalom was killed uh, by by Joab. And later on, Solomon had Adonijah kill uh, his sons. This is part of the retribution. Of what David had done, and then throughout the Davidic dynasty and throughout the uh, the David's kingdom, you'll find that the kings after David continuously had war with the northern kingdom. There's a war, civil war going to be in the north and the south, and also had war with the neighboring nations around. So this was part of God's punishment uh, for David, and um, it just tells us that sins has consequences. Even though God forgives, sometimes there are consequences, even though we are forgiven, there still consequences that have to be paid, and in this case, this is what happened to David. Go ahead. No, there's another part of the question as well.
0: Yeah, while we're talking sure. about kings, uh, the listener wants to know, if a king's word was law during the time of David, Daniel, and Herod? Who made it law and why? Well,
1: let's take those three kings that I mentioned, those three different periods of time. First of all, let's take Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the time of um, Babylon. Uh, that would be, of course, a absolute monarchy, a uh, pagan society where the king is monarch and as king he has absolute authority so his law whatever he decrees uh, is able to take place this is absolute power that he has and this was very very common during the, the monarchical rule you take the the period of uh, that's during daniel take the time of um the other one he mentioned was uh, david Again, uh, Israel was more of a limited monarchy than an absolute monarchy because even in the Book of Deuteronomy, there were certain restrictions and prohibitions laid down as to what a king should do in connection with uh, conscripting an army, in connection with how many wives he could have, etc., etc. So there were limitations placed on the king, uh, the Israel's king. So it was a kind of a limited monarchy. Uh, But again. Uh, when the king violated the, the law, the prophets were called into office to confront the king and, and pull him back uh, to obedience to Scripture. So there was not absolute law under um, David, per se. Uh, whatever law David would have made and the, the rulers would have made, uh, that law was superseded by the greater law, which is the law of God, because it was a kind of a semi-theocracy. Uh, when we come now to Herod, Herod was made king by the emperor of Rome. And he was placed on, on on the throne there in in, in Israel. Uh, what gave him authority? And by the way, he had authority from Rome, and the the, the power that backed him was the Roman in power. So, when he established some kind of a rule or regulation, he had the backing of the full military force of uh, Rome. So basically, um, it decided depended on what society, what t- time of history, um, a person ruled that would decide the extent. Of their control and their capacity to make laws uh, so under Israel is different than under the Babylonian kingdom or the, under the Roman kingdom with Herod um, but basically it had to do with the having the power of the state behind you to back your 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 ruler your regulation
0: the next question that has come in is what is the spirit of divination?
1: Well, the spirit of divination is referred to in Acts 16.16. I think that's the reference. Could you read that as well?
0: Acts 16.16 says... And it came to pass, as we went to pray, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying.
1: Right. That kind of explains, in essence, what it was. Um, This is a person who is demon-possessed of an evil spirit. Later on, uh, Paul will speak to the spirit and tell the spirit, come out of her. But she certainly had a demonic spirit within, and that demonic spirit gave her the ability to... Uh, prognosticate, or to be able to tell the future, so she was able to interpret like dreams, or find out secrets about people, and uh, tell them about their future, and that's how the the um, the owners of this lady who used as kind of a slave girl to get money, because if you look at um, verse twelve of that same passage, Nathan.
0: Yeah, that says, and thence and from thence to Philippi which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. That
1: is 1612? 1612. Okay, go ahead.
0: And we were in that city abiding certain days.
1: Can you continue reading?
0: And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was once not to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which restored, resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord had opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul.
1: Uh You are into chapter 16. You read verse 16 already, right? Yeah. Uh, Okay, if you read a little bit below that or above it, you'll find that um, this lady was being used by um, certain individuals as a means of gaining a fortune. And then when Paul cast out the demon out of her.
0: verse 17. Verse
1: 17. Okay, read it.
0: Then the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Verse 18 says, And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour.
1: Right. And then later you'll find that the persons who owned her, uh, bring a charge against Paul and um, basically against the uh, brought him before the authorities and uh, charge him for um, delving into his, their own business deal with this lady so that this person could no longer uh, tell the future and therefore the profit that they got from uh was no longer available and uh, etc. So it has to do with the demon possession of a person who has the capacity to foretell the future and uh, who can maybe reveal secrets and that's what uh, divination is by the way you find the word divination in the old testament 12 times uh, the majority of times is found in ezekiel chapter 12 to 13 and uh, it is found seven times in that section is also found in numbers in two different sections in deuteronomy and second kings so that um That spirit of divination, that evil spirit that possessed a person given the capacity to prognosticate or be able to tell the future, uh, was a common problem in ancient times. And now in the New Testament, you find that it's also carried over. Most of these um, forms of evil practice with demonic spirits and dealing with the occult uh, go back to ancient Babylon, where it all started and spread throughout the world. So it's not uncommon even today to find that people still perpetuate uh, occult uh, practice even in all modern times.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We broadcast live every Tuesday night. And if you would like to send in your question, you can WhatsApp or text it to one 782 1454 If you'd like to call and be put live on the air, call one 268 462-7420. Yeah, Nathan,
1: the, the term that is used there, soothsaying, we more call it today uh, fortune-telling. That's what the lady was a fortune-teller. Uh, so that that's the modernized term for the word soothsayer, or person who practices divination.
0: So are all fortune-tellers uh, involved in demonology?
1: Any person involved in any kind of fortune-telling is uh, gaining access to knowledge that God has forbidden through some uh, demonic agent. So, person should never get involved in these kind of practices. I know in the Caribbean uh, it is still practiced. I know that in St. Lucia, for example, I, I've known when I lived there and it there. Uh, I know a person who used to go between Dominica, um, uh, Guyana, Dominica, Guyana, and uh, Martinique. And his entire business was about fortune telling. That's what he did for a living. And eventually, of course, he he had two or three vans on the road. That tell you how, how profitable it was. But he would move from one island to the other. And there's still parts, even in Antigua, that people are in, involved in, in witchcraft, involved in, in fortune-telling, etc. But people who are engaged in that are engaged in something that's prohibited by God, and it has certain uh, spiritual consequences in those persons. We should not get involved in it at all.
0: Here's a question that's come in, and this came in last week. We didn't have a chance to answer it. It says, You said the previous week, before Abraham, people had core truth and fundamental knowledge of God. But then the people went away from God. What caused it? Well,
1: I think any person that looks at um, ancient civilizations and see what they all believed in, you'll find that there are certain things that they all believed in. For example, all of them speak substantially about the creation. Not precisely as it is in the Bible, but there's a God who creates, and sometimes he creates from water, sometimes he creates from something else. The, also, the concept that the, the flood, uh, cataclysmic, um event that occurred the flood was is very common also in, in ancient civilizations and then as i mentioned on another previous occasion the, the idea that uh god has to be appeased by offering a sacrifice that is almost universal in terms of what people do in terms of their their worship and of course everybody got some all civilizations got some kind of a religion and worship some kind of god and the other factor too that most of them seem to believe in some form of afterlife even the Egyptians would put food in the in the um, coffins, so that uh, the pharaohs would have means of sustaining themselves in afterlife. So these are every civilization seemed to have these very same core truths. Um, why men went away from God is explained by Paul in the book of Romans, uh, chapter number one. Uh, Paul points out several things, and uh, he says, first of all there was a time when God revealed himself. And God revealed himself in two ways. God reve- he said it, the truth was in them. And that simply means that in their conscience God implanted his law. So man knew that there was a moral being and that man was morally responsible to a superior being. And then Paul said it was not only the internal witness that it was in them, that is in their conscience. But Paul said it was also the external witness of creation which revealed three things about God. His invisible nature, his eternal power, and the fact that he was deity. So God revealed himself to man uh, in himself, within man, and also uh, outside of man, the internal and the external witness. And then Paul goes on in chapter 1 of Romans to say that when man knew God through his conscience and through what was created, Uh, Rather than uh, worship this God, they became irreverent and ungrateful. He said they did not glorify God as God. He said they did not uh, give thanks to him. Instead, the Apostle Paul explains that what happened, rather than responding to the revelation God had given, man began to use his reason apart from revelation. And Paul said his, his thinking became futile, Uh, He went through uh, foolish speculation, so his understanding became darkened, and he developed intellectual pride, claiming that he's wise, and as a result of that, he became, Paul said, became fools, he became spiritual morons, and Paul said that led them to idolatry. So having rejected Revelation, turned away from God, man formed his own God through idolatry, uh, whether that be looking at the the stars or the moon or, or the sun or whether it be some creature in the ocean or some other human being that he duplicates himself or some form or some fish. He now creates his own God in his own mind. And uh, they said that when that happened, god turned away from man he gave man over and what that really means is to give over um, into the power of his own vain imagination and then paul explains that that led to gross immorality and that's where we get um what the bible talks about here uh later on in romans man going so bad morally that he begins to go against uh what is normal that leads down to um lesbianism and uh, homosexuality so that's the order there was revelation uh, rather than man uh, respond to this revelation, man began to speculate, and man began to use his futile thinking, his imagination, his understanding became darkened, uh, that led to his pride. Uh, pride led uh, into a, uh, a point where he became moronic in terms of spiritual truth. That led to idolatry. Idolatry led to immorality, uh, until we got the current state today, where substantially we, the heathen, and those who don't have the Christian faith are away from God and now are in a time of moral chaos. But that's the biblical explanation, that man deliberately uh, went away from God uh, through his vain speculation and his foolish imagination so that God uh, gave man over to his own uh, resources and uh, man went into idolatry and that led man into deep immorality so that man is in the current
0: state he finds himself in. And is that still true today, that man naturally will go away from God?
1: Yeah, I think what has happened is a period of time called the Enlightenment. Uh, After the Renaissance, you had the Enlightenment. And what man did was turn away from biblical truth. And man now, depending on his own unaided intellect to decide on what is. So you're looking through the world through just your rational understanding, apart from divine revelation. Anytime you go in that direction, you're always going to error. God has revealed truth to us. Man must use his reason and exercise his reason in connection with that truth. But, uh, but man's unaided understanding always leads him down the, tre- the, the, the road of idolatry and immorality. So what is
0: the solution to man's problem?
1: Well, the solution to man's problem basically is a man is alienated from God. Man is sinful, uh, man is rebellious, man is autonomous, man is independent, man wants his own way, and man uh, doesn't want to be held accountable to any god. And that's the dilemma that the modern man has found himself in. What has aided man in this process, of course, was the whole doctrine of evolution. Uh, For the first time, uh, it, it came up with a natural explanation of how man could have come into existence apart from a supreme being. And that was by natural selection, of course. You have a chance and time. Uh, how consciousness can come out of unconsciousness? How <laughs> uh, how the, um, an inanimate an can become animated? How um, that which cannot communicate can communicate? Uh, it's it's just one of those. You, it, um, evolution is faith. You've got to believe because there's no evidence for it. Uh, Christianity is faith too but it is based on revealed truth. So it's not a difference between what, what uh, uh, faith and, and science is between uh, faith and faith uh, faith in, in false scientism and we have faith in scripture. So uh, the suggestion that Christians alone have faith, is an absolute f- fallacy. Uh, to believe in evolution, you have to have faith because you weren't there. It can't be duplicated. And science, remember, is duplicating and testing. You can't test it because nobody was there. The only one who was there told you the word. So uh, uh, evolution is certainly not scientific.
0: You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 11:60 a.m. FM and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And for this program on Tuesday nights, we are also on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed. You can see behind the scenes what goes on in the studio. You can listen to the program and you can also comment your questions all in that one medium by commenting underneath the video feed. No matter how you are joining us on tonight's program, Thank you for joining us, and encourage others to tune in. Pastor, the next question that has come in, where are slaves first mentioned in the Bible or in Bible history?
1: Um, if you go into the book of Genesis, uh, the first reference you'll find to any indication of slavery is, is found in um, Genesis chapter 21, verse 10, 12, and 13, it had to do with Hagar who's called the bondwoman. Um, she is a person that uh, came out of Egypt when Abraham went down into Egypt and then returning. Uh, he brought Hagar with her. Uh, we're not too sure whether uh, this was a gift of Pharaoh uh, to Abraham because you remember that Abraham, uh, Pharaoh had taken uh, Abraham's wife uh, thinking that she was his sister and um, he was in great danger of God judging him and when he discovered that um, it was his real wife, um, you know, he let uh, Abraham go. And we're told that he went out, and he went out with one of these persons. His brother was Hagar. So was she a gift to Abraham? We're not too sure. But that's the first indication of where slavery uh, is first mentioned in the Bible. It actually comes out of Egypt. The second time we have mention of slavery is um, in Genesis thirty-seven twenty-eight to thirty-six. You remember uh, Joseph's brothers selling him to the Ishmaelites after he was, they put him in a, a well, and then they were leaving him to die, and then the Ishmaelites came by and he was sold to them. And we're told that the Ishmaelites went down into Egypt and they sold Joseph into Pharaoh's house. So once again, uh, you have it mentioned there in, in, in Egypt. And then we're also told in the Bible, if you read the book of Exodus, um, that for 430 years, Israel had migrated down into Egypt and uh, under favorable conditions, after the the nation of Israel began to multiply and the people uh, began to increase, Pharaoh became... And this is not the Pharaoh that uh, where Jacob and his family went. There was another Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. Uh, he yeah. is feeling threatened that the Israelite population will increase in such a way that they could actually dominate the country and therefore we're told that they impose a period of slavery 430 years upon israel you find that in uh, exodus 1 14 exodus 2 23 exodus 6 uh, 3 uh, 69 exodus 13 3 14 exodus 21 and then you also find it mentioned in deuteronomy 5 6 deuteronomy 6 12 deuteronomy 8 14 deuteronomy 18 5 and, 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 uh, and 10. So, um, the first mention there, again, it has to do with coming out of Egypt, selling uh, slaves into Egypt, and then, of course, Israel's bondage in Egypt for 430 years.
0: And a couple of follow up questions in relation to that. What was the purpose of the slaves in the Bible? Who started it? And was it law?
1: Well, uh, basically, um, the purpose of slaves was to work. Uh, uh, basically, slavery involved two things you either were uh, most most by the way, most slavery had to do with people who were captured in war. Uh, every civilization those people that went against in war when they captured the other group those the uh, de- de- defeated group became slaves. but in most cases, it had to do with uh, manual labor and, and and most women by the way, they became either servants in the household they became concubines. So it really has to do with uh imposing harsh labor on people. In the case of Egypt, where Israel was, there was a building the cities of uh Python and another uh the two different cities that are mentioned in the Bible that he said you build these cities and he wouldn't even give them straw, if you remember the the, the occasion. But it's mainly to um extract labor uh from persons and in the case of ladies either to be servants in the house or become a concubine uh to the, the master.
0: Pastor, a WhatsApp question that's just come in from Antigua. Thank you to those who are sending in questions. We appreciate it. Good evening. And what was the thorn that God placed on Paul?
1: Well, we're not too sure what the thorn was. We just know that he uh, call it a, a messenger of Satan. So we know that somehow Satan's involved in it. Most people, um, commentators, suggest that it could be that um, a problem that Paul had repeatedly Um, could be some kind of a physical uh, problem. Some people think it was stammering. He he said to the Corinthians, I didn't come among you with excellency of speech. He was not an orator like Apollos was. Uh, He was more of a didactic teacher. And it's possible that he had that problem where he maybe stuttered. Other people suggest it was his eyes because uh, he saw it to the Galatians he would want large letters have written to you. And of course Paul being the kind of person he was, you need eyes to travel, you need eyes to write. So it could be that he had a problem there and he felt that if the Lord had removed this problem in his life, uh, it would facilitate his better service. The other thing it could be some bodily ailment that Paul could have had because he said, "A, a messenger of Satan to buffet me," and the word "buffet" there is to is like a pugilistic term, beating his body. So it could be something that could affected his body. But uh, and, and I think it's good that the Bible didn't tell us what it was as well, because. It, it it, and that word thorn now becomes a symbol of whatever problem we have it doesn't have to be a physical problem it could be a financial problem it could be an emotional problem it could be a romantic problem you know it, 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 whatever it is in your life that disturbs you and the word thorn there uh, has the idea of irritation so whatever it is in paul's life was irritating paul and he felt that if this could only be removed He'd be better able to serve god so there's no definitive um statement in the bible as to what specific it was that paul suffered from but it was something that discomforted him something irritated him and something that he felt that if it could only be removed he'd be more effective servant but then he learned that if god doesn't remove the thorn he provides the grace and that grace enables you to live life with that thorn without it being removed
0: it's an interesting way to view it that we should be thankful that God didn't specifically tell us uh, what the thorn in the flesh was. You
1: know why? Because you said that's not my problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the fact that it's not mentioned, all of us realize that we can have a thorn. It's mm-hmm. just a different
0: thorn. Thank you to the individual who sent that in. Pastor, one other WhatsApp question that's come in. Is it possible that God reveals certain things in dreams today to Christians? I've had dreams before that seemed a bit telling of a few people over time. What does scripture say?
1: Well, if you read the Bible, um, even in the New Testament, now remember that you had the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, uh, the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And then you have Peter on the mount, uh, not on the um, Cornelius house top, where in a dream he's got a vision. You've got that. I am not one that box in God that He has to, um, in every case, speak to you through His Word. I believe it is possible that the Lord can speak to a person through a dream. Um, I think if you were to study some of the lives of some of the, the, uh, the saints, you'll find that many of them would indicate that the Lord said certain to them. And for example, take um, the guy that started the Salvation Army. Uh, what's his name again?
0: Uh, I can't remember uh, right off. Uh, but we, we play uh, I, stories of great yeah, Christians. Yeah, I, I about should him.
1: remember that right off the bat. Um, but he again, he had uh, what caused him to start the Salvation Army, that he had a dream he was taken up and the Lord held him over hell. And he saw people in torment and screaming. And that created such terror in him that uh, when it was all over, uh, he was motivated. William Booth—that's his name. Um, he was motivated to start uh, the Salvation Army, but that was a dream that he had. Okay, um, I've known of one person in St. Lucia uh, that became converted because her aunt appeared to her in a dream and t- talked to uh, her need to turn her life over to Christ. And she came to church, heard the message, and got saved. So I don't, I don't think it's impossible that God can use that as a means. Uh, So that's my view on the matter. I would say, however, that if there is a dream, it must um, harmonize with Scripture. He's not going to give you a dream that is contrary to what the Bible teaches. Like this this, um, bogus pastor we had recently who said that he was taken up, to heaven and, and told all kind of things, and he was told that you know black people can't have one wife and stuff like that, and you know I I, I felt insulted, and I feel that every Antiquan should feel insulted to that kind of thing, and that he you know um, he sleeps at night, and some letters are written on his pillow, and interpret all of that is bogus nonsense. Uh, so, and that is why you've got to be very very careful to to endorse any kind of dream because people go from one extreme to the other. But I do not doubt in my mind that God has a capacity to speak to somebody through a dream, but whatever that is, it has to harmonize with Scripture. It
0: can't go contrary to Scripture. So is it safe to say then that it wouldn't be any new revelation?
1: No, I, no no, new revelation. But not only that, uh, whatever He says to you um, in, in the dream or whatever is in the dream, it must harmonize with some truth in, in Scripture. It can't go contrary to Scripture because God will not go contrary to His Word.
0: Thank you to those who have sent in questions, and if you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 1-268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. Pastor, I want us to do a quick review. You shared a lot of information in the second half of last week's episode in relation to uh, demonic subjection and demonic possession. I want to do a quick rehash of that before we jump into new material in relation to demonology.
1: Yeah, we're trying to make a fine distinction between actual demon possession and, and, and demon oppression. Um, I think there's a, a, a distinction there. Uh, when a person is demon-possessed, isn't indwelling situation. Spirit within the person, but it can be a person who is not demon possessed, but under the influence of demonic powers. That we try to draw a subtle distinction.
0: We and that would be subjection.
1: Yeah, okay. yeah. We're talking about uh, so we talk about the underlying causes, how this thing could happen in a person's life, and we mentioned four things quickly. We mentioned the factly the, the blatant, persistent, sinful lifestyle. Um, we use uh, Saul as an example when an evil spirit was allowed to the Lord to take over Paul's life Saul's life in the Old Testament again that was repeated rebellion and disobedience and no subjection to God. Uh, we also mentioned that if a person gets engaged in occult practices like experimentation, like visiting a fortune teller, uh, going to necromancy where you call up the dead, um, going to the obey man to get some kind of help, maybe and you're, not, you're not you're having a problem and uh, you need to find something out, or using even occult books and reading occult books, that is a connection with the demonic. So you've got to be, that opens you. And then of course, if there's any uh, person in your family uh, who's involved in the cult, like your father, your grandfather, your grandmother, etc., and you were brought up in your home or brought up nearby, and you witness some of these kind of things, it cannot, and then of course, there's the idea that people can actually, uh, whether you want to believe it or not, people who are engaged with satanic practices can cast spells. Now, they can't cast spells on the believer because the believer is under the protection of the blood of Christ. But certainly the unsaved person doesn't have that protection. And there's no doubt that the evil men who are engaged in obey and uh, uh, those kind of practice can do things to people. I think we foolhardy for anybody to deny that because the facts are there. And then we talk about the symptoms of uh, when a person goes through that that particular matter. We talk about the fact it will affect this their psychical life. Um, and what I mean by that, the, the NAMI would have a, an indifference towards anything that's spiritual, indifference towards God, the Bible, even church. Uh, they tend to entertain evil thoughts and have ideas that oppose God. Um, they have a passion sometimes for impure thoughts and uh, depressive moods, always in a melancholy spirit. And then they have a, a what we call a terrible fear, a, a haunting fear, where they think that uh, somebody's always looking over their shoulder or at night somebody's near their bed etc etc and then there's a compulsion to, to do whatever they're doing uh, to sin whether that be sex or drugs or alcohol There's just a that craving compulsion that they don't have any control over and then there's a tendency to self-injury uh, and uh, they have suicidal thoughts and there's malice towards God they, they, sometimes they want to destroy God destroy the Bible tear the pages of the Scripture uh, and uh, um, any talk about uh, religious liberation they, they get concerned and very frequently they are unable to repeat aloud the name of Jesus uh, when that happens or they struggle if they call his name their face becomes distorted or they say it in a mechanical voice certain hymns uh, that exalt Christ they find very very offensive or the uh, blood the blood the, even the name of Jesus as you mm-hmm. know that, that one. and then Any attempts of prayer, they feel like choking, and sometimes they have a series of blasphemous thoughts that come across their mind, or they have mocking thoughts when they want to pray. Uh, They shy away from any talk about the devil, Satan, or demons, which might seem rather strange, and uh, all forms of spiritual help when it's being offered. They become restless and become unfriendly, and they may at times display some mediumistic uh, ability where they can... uh, talk about things that they should not know, but somehow they have knowledge about it. And then there's a persistent secret desire to hurt and, uh, believe it or not, even to murder. Uh, that That is because the devil is a murderer from the beginning. And um, if the oppressed person manages to open the Bible or talk to God, he gets overwhelmingly tired, uh, impossible to concentrate, and he have all these kind of distracting thoughts, and then there's an ambivalence towards good and evil one day he's wants to do what is right the next day he doesn't see him, and he goes through these moods uh and he's unresponsive one day one another day he's very very eager and then he's his reaction to Christian council um he seems quite prepared for help, but suddenly he loses uh, interest and he begins to distrust the, the counsellor. He wants to change the topic and sometimes he accuses the counsellor of being insincere and spreading rumours about himself. And uh, As counselling becomes more effective and he begins to experience some change, you find sometimes he will faint, sometimes he will swoon, he will go into trance, or he just clear blank out. Those are some of the, the symptoms of a person who is uh, demonically oppressed.
0: Are there, as we talk about possession, are there marks of a demonically possessed person?
1: Well, when we, we last time we looked at the scriptures and we pointed out from Mark uh, 5 and then Luke 14, uh, Luke 11, we talked about certain things that a person that is demon-possessed, it is very clear that there's an evil spirit dwelling within. Uh, so there's no question that there's an evil spirit within. We talk about unusual uh, physical strength. Uh, the, the guy that nobody can bind he can break chains um, uh, paroxysms are fits of rage. Uh, the Bible says he was violent uh, uh, and uh, did people injury and then disintegration where he like has a split personality one moment he rushed to Jesus and then he said, "Are you going to torment this? Leave me alone So he has that ambivalent feeling he wants Christ, but yet at the same time he's he 's kind of back and forth between that and then the resistance um He wants Jesus, but he wants to be left alone. And then we talk about unusual knowledge. He had never met Christ before, but he could say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then there's the variation in voice, that when our Lord asked who he was, it wasn't the man speaking, but he said, I'm legion. And you'll always find that there are two voices or three voices within the person, and you know it's not the same person's voice. And then transference. Um, When the demons left the individual, uh, we're told that it went into the, the swine. Another matter is about the capacity to speak in another language, and I keep saying this is a very dangerous thing to assume that because a person speaks in tongues that he is speaking through the Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians said, No man uh, calleth Jesus a curse, which is anathema. Remember that the word maranatha means Jesus is coming. But in the process of speaking in tongues, uh, the word maranatha and anathema sound quite alike. And Paul is saying if the person is exercising this kind of speaking in tongues and they call Jesus uh, uh, anathema as opposed to maranatha, that is not a God. So you've got to be very, very careful when people make uh, speaking in tongues a sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then there's always an aversion towards the things of God, hatred of the Bible, hatred of prayer, hatred of the cross and the hatred of the blood of Christ. There's fierceness and violence. Uh, The Bible says that no man could pass by. This guy was so violent. And then there was self-mutilation, where the Bible said he cut himself. And then nakedness. Uh, The Bible says that our Lord had to clothe him, and uh, certainly because he wore very little, little clothes. He had no sense of propriety and modesty. And then there was the isolation from the normal society. The Bible said he went into the caves and he went into the mountains. And then uh, the Bible says he was screams and cries. Those are fourteen different marks that you find that are mentioned in scripture that would indicate a person is uh demon possessed.
0: Pastor, we have a caller from Bendels Antigua. Go ahead with your question quickly, please. Thank you for calling. Good
2: evening, Mr. Mr Williams, good evening, sir. Not too bad any, sir. Good. Yes, but, and good night. Thank yes, you. good
0: night. Thanks for calling.
2: Yeah, Pastor, uh tonight I don't know if you it might happen, but uh, you talk about Nebuchadnezzar, and that was what I was about to ask you tonight.
1: Well, go ahead uh,
2: and ask. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 3.
1: Uh huh. He
2: was three Hebrew boys. Yes. After they stand up against his degree, and then he said that he, he put an order that no man speak anything amiss against the God of gonna and Right. I wonder if he get converted or oh, he had just.
1: You mean Nebuchadnezzar?
2: maybe I get converted at that time.
1: Yeah, it, it seems to me. By the way, if you read at the end of the story, after he had seven years out in the wilderness, uh, he became like a, a ox eating grass like an ox, and his his nails became like a claws of an animal, and his hair turned like feathers. Um, certainly, he beca- has suffered from some com- some form of dementia. And he was and the Bible says it's only when he looked up to heavens and acknowledged God as God and uh, you'll find later on he 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 makes a proclamation that uh daniel's god is the true and the living god and that this god has a right to give the kingdom to whom he desires it seems to me that that was some kind of a conversion experience whether or not it was uh authentic in the sense that it was something that was enduring or lasting i can't say but clearly he had a complete change of mind where he really understood who god was and in the old testament context that would be an acknowledgement of god as a supreme being and the one that rules in the world so it would seem to me that he had some kind of a conversion experience.
2: But, but but there's no way in the Bible that after the seven years of of his rising in the in the jew and thing, there's no way in the Bible that talks about his conversion where he after Christ or
1: what. No, there's nothing in the scripture that tell you. Just tell you that his proclamation that he makes at the end of the whole whole exercise, when he recognized the God of heaven that he was yeah. the one that rules and was supreme and, and and sovereign. That's the only. Uh, but that is a clear indication that this monarch had humbled himself before God and that knowledge is and the living God of the scriptures.
0: I can read those verses. Sh- Sh- go ahead, read it, please. Daniel 3, and 29, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants and trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people... Nation and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill. Because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort, I don't know if that's the passage you're looking. Yeah,
1: at? I don't think it can be better. I don't think even I could make a statement like that. Clearly, uh, this man has come to the point where he has been humbled before God. He's acknowledging the God of heaven, and in a sense, he is submitting to that God, acknowledging Him as the supreme one. To my mind, that is—I would consider that a real conversion experience uh, from the Old Testament context. Of course, he would not have the full revelation that we have in the New Testament about. Bowing in your head before you know, trusting Christ, etc. But the acknowledgement of the God of heaven and submitting to that God for the revelation that He had received—that and that in my mind would indicate to me that He had a real conversion experience. I
2: I believe that too. I believe that too. Yeah. Believe that too. Yeah. You remember our Lord?
1: Our Lord made a statement in the um, in one of His parables. He said to the Jews that "some will come from the east and the west and will enter the kingdom, and you who are the children of the kingdom will be excluded." So you're going to be surprised uh, in that day, uh, the, the, the people that are really genuinely converted and the people who should be converted to Jews and put their faith and trust in Christ will be rejected. And he said that they'll come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but you, the children of the kingdom, will be, be shut out because you've rejected the Messiah. So these heathen kingdoms that acknowledge God and are submitted to him, uh, I, 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 in my judgment, I believe that's a conversion experience. Okay. No, no, I'm afraid night,
2: I will
1: Okay. Say hi to the wife as well. God bless.
0: Thank you very much for calling. And for those that have their Bible open, also Daniel four thirty seven, uh, Pastor referenced the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was out in a field for a number of years, and in Daniel four thirty seven he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Pastor, jumping back to what you were stating before that phone call, uh, you were saying the marks of demonic possession can be nakedness. Can you then... Connect the dots and say that because our society is so focused on uh, nudity, nakedness, whether it be in entertainment or whether it be just as you drive down Market Street, uh, that there are uh, signs of demonic possession. Or am I?
1: I would not say demonic possession. I would say demonic influence. There's no okay. question about that. Remember that uh, Satan's whole purpose is to corrupt humankind, and the greatest power. For corruption is sexual corruption, so he has to be an advocate of nakedness and anything pornography, anything that would defile the mind and lead man in that direction. So, and don't forget that we went back to Romans, Revelation, rejected Revelation. Uh, man used speculation; man led to the idolatry. Idolatry led to what? Immorality. You'll find it in that pattern all the time. The 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 the, the way to destroy man is to destroy morality and destroy the family and he's centered at that attack so it's not surprising that you find so much nakedness uh wrong because it talks about the the fact that uh the influence satanic influence and demonic influence are clearly there once there's a lot of nakedness you notice that after man's sin, what did God do? First thing after man's sin, he clothed him. Yeah. See? That, that that gives you an idea uh, of what God's intent is. You always got to think what God's intent is to clothe man's nakedness after sin. The devil's intent is to expose man's nakedness so that, um, and you notice that everything keeps going up, going up, going up, going up, going up. The skirt was down by the, the, the toes, and it goes up to the legs, and then it goes beyond, and then you don't know how far it can go now. <laughs> And then if you watch the carnival, uh, I don't watch it, but I'm told that those <laughs> who uh, who do carnival in the Caribbean or watch a carnival in, um, in Brazil, mm-hmm. virtually the women are naked, yeah. virtually naked. I mean, it's shameful, really, really shameful.
0: Pastor, a WhatsApp question that's come in. Good night. I would like to know why God allows Satan to have his own way on earth, destroying people's lives. Why didn't God strip him of his powers when he banished him from heaven? Interesting question.
1: Yeah, one of those, uh, what you, might, you know, how do you explain that? There's no way to explain that. All I can say to the individual is that man is being tested, and man is progressing uh, to develop his character. And to develop man's character, the man has to be tested. And the Lord is using Satan. He doesn't have his own way. He doesn't have his free will. Clearly, in the case of Job, uh, Job was protected. And there was a hedge around Job, and the Lord only allowed Satan to go so far with Job. So it, you cannot make the statement that Satan is allowed to have uh, a freelance, um, freelance in uh, planting earth. There are limits to which he is restrained as to what he can do. But man is going through an awful time of testing, and that testing develops a character in man. So this part of the mystery uh, On this matter, but we we we, we do believe. And I think the Bible will support that, that man is being tested at this point in time. And there is hope for man. Uh, Man doesn't have to be under the dominion of Satan. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in the gospel of Christ, the power of Satan is broken in man's life. So you don't have to be addicted or you don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. So there is power to overcome the enemy, but humankind is under a tremendous test. And remember what this life is about. This life is not about happiness. This life is not about making money. This house is not about uh, a new car, a new house, uh, land, property, uh, travel. That's not. What- this life is about preparing for the next life. This life is a preamble to eternity, and all that's going on in your life now is preparing you for that eventuality. And by the way, when you think about it, what is seventy years to eternity? So you've given seventy years. If by reason of grace you get seventy-five or eighty. But you are given that time uh, to really prepare yourself to meet your maker. And what has happened with us that we have become distracted making this world the end in itself. And that's going to be the grievous mistake that we made. But right now, we are going to a period of 70, 75 years where the Lord is testing us and trying us. And we're going to have to make some choices and decisions as to whether or not we want to obey him and whether or not we want to uh, go to heaven, share his glory, or we want to continue to live a selfish, rebellious life where we are just fixated on planet Earth and to enjoy what we call personal happiness, autonomy, and freedom.
0: Returning back to our discussion on uh, demon possession, Pastor, there's a section of Christianity today that is so focused on casting out demons, and that seems to be what their church services uh, revolve around. They are sometimes said to find uh, demons under every rock and under every bush. With that in mind, are we to believe that just any Christian has the ability to deal or should be dealing with people who are demon-possessed?
1: Okay, before I answer that question, let me just say a word on what you just mentioned. You know, I think that the fact that the focus mainly these days is on deliverance and demons and demons and demons, yet when you come to the New Testament, the emphasis is not so much on, on, on demons, etc. Paul talks more about the flesh and the world than he talks about demons. Mm-hmm. So we are looking at one one enemy and dealing with one matter while we're losing to the flesh and we're losing to, to, to the world's philosophy. So I think it's a, it's a, we can become so distracted. And so that's why I didn't really initially want to deal too much with this subject, because it's so common today. But because Baptists don't seem to deal with these issues, people think that we don't believe that the demonic powers. And I think that there we need to set that perspective correctly. But what I'm saying to you, Nathan, we've got three forces against us, the world, the flesh. And the devil in that order to be very honest with you and our greatest enemy is not satan our greatest enemy isn't ourselves our, our sinful fallen nature and being so absorbed with are looking for demons we get defeated with the flesh because we're not dealing with the fleshly pull and desires that we have and i think that that needs to be balanced that's why i said i want to say a word about that that we got to be very careful we don't uh, get, go off on a tangent dealing with this matter just demons, demons, demons and forget that the flesh is our greatest enemy who, who sleeps with us, uh, walks with us daily and uh, pretty much controls and of course the philosophy of the world and think of the world.
0: Is it possible then that Satan could actually use the focus on demons within the realm of Christianity in order to undermine God's work of Christianity?
1: I think that's exactly what is happening today. Be very honest. That's with you. pretty tricky I, I approach. Think, yeah. Well, remember you're dealing with a genius, uh, evil genius. That's what he say. Deceit. And uh, he used every kind of deceit. If you can, uh, there was a time when, uh, because of science, men didn't believe in in, a, in in Satan. He was incognito, and of course, he was doing his secret work. Today, the other extremists come into the church. The church now everything is devil, 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 demon, 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 and they're not prepared to realize that it's not just. And by the way, the philosophy today is uh, is that the devils make me do it, demons make me do it. So we are l- we're relinquishing personal responsibility. It's all part of the all part of a, a system where uh, men are coming to the point where they don't feel they're responsible for what is happening in their lives, and uh, and I think that is where it's being orchestrated. So that even in the courts, the the murderer is given more sympathy than the person who's murdered because he can't help himself. I think it's all part of that orchestration to to uh, to rob man of his personal responsibility before God. And what better way to do that than to have this demonic infernal spirit that controls everybody? and You can't help yourself. I think it diminishes responsibility and it falls right where that people are no longer more responsible. But coming back to your question now. Um, We've got to be careful, and there's a real danger of trying to engage in this uh, deliverance ministry. Um, it's a myth to think that every believer should engage in this kind of uh, confrontation. Um, I don't have to remind you that in the book of Acts, the sons of Sceva learned that mm. the demon said, I know Paul, <laughs> and I know Jesus, but I don't know you. And Of course, they were torn to Sunder, and they had to run out of the house, etc., etc., so uh, one has to be very very careful to think that because you're Christian that somehow you can bind the devil and you can uh, you know you have this superpower. Uh, I think this is very very misleading. I want to make a few uh, comments on who I think is is, is suitable uh, to, to to go into this. Dev- Number one, I think that person should have a definite conversion experience. They should have the assurance of their salvation. They should have a Clear understanding of What happened at their conversion And there should be no doubt in their mind That they're genuinely, authentically a believer Secondly, I would suggest That the person who should have Some kind of a consistent prayer life uh, I think that is vitally important You're dealing here with forces and powers That are extraordinary And uh, I think One has to be prayed up And a person who is a a Then the other one I think the person have a good working knowledge of the Bible. A neophyte can't do this. A person who doesn't read the Scriptures and study the Scriptures. Uh, you need to be able to refer to passages like in Colossians where Christ has gained victory over the infernal forces. Uh, you need to be able to, to, to quote uh, things, uh, Scripture about the blood of Christ, uh, etc. And uh, another thing, uh, a person uh, whose life is grounded in, uh, so grounded in scripture. They, in other words, they're living biblically. They're not just that they know the Bible now, because knowing the Bible is not the same as doing the Bible, but a person who's putting the Bible into practice in their life. And, and then a person of a very stable, strong Christian character, a person who is sensitive and fearful and nervous, a kind of a personality, should never engage in this kind of work. Uh, so your, your your character and the strength of your character um, should help guide you in this matter. And I would add another thing, um, if you have a burden for this type of ministry, I don't have a burden for this kind of ministry. I, I don't feel that's my calling uh, as a pastor. But if it were to happen in our church, I would get engaged. But I don't see it as any particular I'm burden for people who are in this condition. I think God burdens people in different areas. And perhaps that is your forte or you think that you would like to get involved in this matter. And then above all, you've got to have a clear understanding of the victory that we have in Christ, especially Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, where he has conquered all principalities and also in um Matthew chapter, uh, 28, 18 and 19, where he says it has all authority and all power. I think that those are important uh, characteristics of a person, and I would not recommend uh, a person engaging who certainly don't meet most of these qualifications. I think it's to engage and, and go about trying to do this, I think you're headed for trouble, and you might find that you could get hurt. Uh, I was reading one or two books already where... Um, and the guy was cuffed, slapped, uh, trying to deliver. So it's, it's not something that they are, can be physical consequences. Some people have been flung against the wall. So you don't want to pretend that you are some super saint and you're not ready to engage in this kind of activity. It can be very injurious to you. So you've got to be very, very thoughtful and very, very careful.
0: With that in mind, if you fall into those criteria, not that that's necessarily a magical list, but I think it's very wise advice. What is the procedure to follow when counseling a demonized person, or maybe we should separate a oppressed and a possessed yeah. person?
1: Let me let me offer some uh, thoughts on on this matter. The first thing I would suggest is that deliverance takes time. Sometimes it's hours, sometimes it's days, sometimes it is weeks sometimes it is months and this might shock you sometimes it's, it might be a year or two uh not every Case can be delivered expeditiously,
0: but the power of the blood of Jesus Christ is the ultimate power. So, how could it take so long?
1: Well, a lot has to do with the individual as well. Remember, our Lord said, "On one this kind come of not out by prayer and fasting." Mm. So, clearly, there are aspects to the person's individual life who is trying to do the deliverance. The other thing is that you're not you're dealing with uh, sometimes a person is possessed by one spirit. In the case of Legion, I, I told you, I think I told you that um, thousands of, of, of persons, uh, demons are in, in the individual. So and sometimes you, you've got m- more wicked demons than, not all demons are equally wicked. Because you remember our Lord said that he leads and brings seven worse than himself. So it depends on the demon in the person. And then, of course, it depends a lot on how that person has been engaged in has been involved in, in these things for a long time and been practiced for a long time. Uh, these demons do not want to relinquish that body that indwells and is engaged in this kind of activity. So there is a resistance. Now we don't understand why by a snap of a finger it doesn't happen. But those who are dealing with these matters, um, if you read the books on them, sometimes it takes a long time. It takes a lot of prayer, a lot of fasting. Sometimes you've got to get prayer groups that help assist in this whole matter. Why this happens, we don't know, and how ingrained and how str- what kind of a stronghold that demon has. But it has to be linked somehow with the person's engagement in activities and the person's responsibility for the condition he's in. Uh, clearly, um, there are consequences for engaging in this kind of activity that could result in it taken much longer than normal, I said that to say this because sometimes people get very discouraged because you 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 go through two or three sessions and nothing happens of any you know get delivered uh Some people think that you know well you should be able to deliver them in a week or two weeks or three weeks. In fact, that matter is when you read literature on these kind of situations, especially people who' have dealt with these things for a long time, that tell you quite frankly that there's some that takes a long time before they actually can be delivered so that's the first thing i'd like to say so there's no magic wand that can just uh deliver a person immediately or you know I, I want to make that very 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 clear the other thing is that one needs to understand that deliverance is only possible through christ and his work on the cross that must be very very clear it's not your power uh it's not your wisdom Uh, It's not just not your prayer either that does it. It has to be the power of Christ. And the emphasis has to be on the cross, the blood, name of Christ, scripture, the Holy Spirit, prayer, and fasting. So that needs to be made very, very clear in people's mind. Um, And then the other thing is that I would recommend that, that you try to establish if there is some organic cause of what the person is going through. For example, schizophrenia. Where a people, a person have bouts of madness and normalcy, or uh, you've got a place where a person is elated and laughing and the next moment he's crying. Uh, if it's a, a schizophrenic case, it normally can be controlled by medication. If it can be controlled by medication, chances are you're not dealing with demonic power because it's an organic problem. So I think that's vitally important at at times because sometimes, especially people who have um, fits and people who have uh, bouts of mental problems, people think that they're possessed. They may not be possessed. But I think the key thing here is trying to discover if the, the, the behavior is altered or changed, by taking some kind of medication it would indicate an organic problem and not a demonic problem the other thing Nathan, is that every object of the sorcery or the occult whatever the person is engaged with ought to be destroyed so if you're dealing with a person who has been engaged in witchcraft or engaged in some kind of occult practice maybe using the ouija board or the tarot cards or some other means any visible uh, paraphernalia that he has something tangible that ought to be totally uh, destroyed. If you're using magic books or cult objects, or, like, for example, the 6th and 7th book of Moses, and uh, the people who read those, uh, if you have pagan, pagan objects in his home, or they have got hangings of, of these type of things, those things ought to be removed. You have an example of that in the book of Acts 19. Uh, look at verse number 19, please.
0: Acts 19, 19 reads as follows. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and the counted price of them, and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver.
1: Well, that gives an idea. This was a serious, this was in Ephesus. And uh, clearly, this was a place of uh, great idolatry. But notice that they took out all the objects, the books that they read, and they burned them completely. And this is what needs to be done. If a person is using a fetish, you know, the people that got, um, they wear like a chain and they got some kind of a spell inside the little, a little amulet that they, they covered, all of that has to be removed and, and, and gotten rid of. Uh, another thing that needs to be done is Any mediumistic contact or friendship Or influence that the person has been Involved with In other words you have to renounce those contacts You can't associate with those people who, With whom you engaged in this kind of activity You've got to just uh, reject them uh, You can't be friends with them any longer You come under the influence You avoid them altogether And then the other thing is uh, You should then be willing to Confess your sin of your involvement in any kind of occult, occult practice and this is where the prayer of renunciation comes in and basically it's annulling uh, ownership and renouncing your participation in any kind of occult activity and that that prayer normally says uh something to the effect in the name of jesus i renounce the evil practice of witchcraft or whatever it is and i claim the blood of christ uh and his protection and i ask his forgiveness and then uh, of course uh, in addition to prayer renunciation you've got to ask god forgiveness uh, for engaging in whatever you have engage in another thing that's helpful when you're going to the, the um, counseling uh, nathan is to try to get a prayer group that could be uh, supporting you in prayer they're not part of the actual deliverance but they are supporting you while you're going to that that
0: that process. Do you think a person should ever meet one on one, or would you always have multiple strong believers?
1: I I would be very personally. I would be very reluctant to meet one on one. I've done it once, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and uh, but I I was terrified, but I couldn't show it. Was fearful. And that's because things that began to happen, the person just swing around and look at me like, and I saw a goat face. <laughs> I, I I, I, I just wanted to run so fast, I couldn't tell you, but I was fearful. And I realized I was going through some dangerous ground there, and I said, why in the world did I come here by myself, right? So I uh, I would not recommend that you try to tackle this thing. It's better, you know, notice script. script you always go in pairs. Yeah. Whether it be missionary work or doing... Our Lord sent out two by two. He sent out oh, uh, by 70, et cetera. But that's very, very significant. You always need some kind of support in that case. I wouldn't recommend that you try to confront it, uh, etc. cetera. Um, and then sometimes, Nathan, prayer must be followed with fasting. This is what our Lord said. Uh, and fasting, of course, is one of those... Uh, disciplines that both the Old Testament and the New Testament endorses and during the period of time uh, it may be appropriate that uh, they, they go through this kind of prayer I would say as well that when you're going through this uh, um, counseling with a person you should plead the blood of Christ and the protection of the blood of Christ uh, demons fear nothing more than the blood and the cross and the other thing is you command in the name of Jesus as Acts chapter 16 verse 8 and when that person is delivered, uh, you have to get them to completely surrender their life to Christ uh, and trust Him as Lord. Because though any ear of that person's life that is not surrendered, they become vulnerable. And our Lord warns about the. Uh, reformation where you reform and you're delivered and then demons come back. The only way to stop demons coming back is to have one stronger than the strong man, who is Christ. So conversion is absolutely necessary if a person wants full and complete uh, deliverance. And if they're going to have uh, full liberty and freedom, uh, they must put their faith and trust in Christ.
0: Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.39. The voice that you hear teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, pastor of Grace Baptist Church on Roan Henry Street in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua. If you are in Antigua and you are looking for a Bible teaching church, we're not trying to draw you away from your church if your church is teaching the Bible, but if you are looking for one, we would love for you to come visit Sunday morning service uh, Sunday Morning Sunday School is at 9 a.m. on Sundays and service at 10 a.m. And then we have a midweek service on Thursday evening which rotates between prayer and Bible study and that meets every Thursday at 7 p.m. Pastor, anything else you want to mention before we move on?
1: No, I just I, just, um, I know we spent a lot of time on this subject uh, and there's still so much more you could cover. But I just wanted people to be aware that um, these, these, this is real. This is not something fictitious. And on the other hand, you need to keep this this balance and don't be so uh, absorbed with this thing and so distracted that all you think about is demons. Think about Christ rather than demons and the power of Christ. I think have that perspective as you go through life would help you as a believer so you're not under the gloom and under depression. Uh, The Lord's power is far greater than Satan, and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world.
0: I want to focus our shift now, shift our focus a little bit to the occult and how that plays into this matrix of demonology
1: yeah when we think about the occult the occult is a subset of this whole matter of demonology a kind of a subdivision and the occult has to do with the pursuit of trying to get hidden secret mysterious or paranormal knowledge without using the five senses, uh, this knowledge is gained through some kind of supernatural means. So the occult has to do basically trying to get uh, supernatural knowledge to to know things that uh, are not there, uh, that are not there under normal circumstances. So it's it's delving into the spirit realm to to align oneself with uh, demonic spirits in order to gain power and knowledge. That's what occult is about.
0: And we know that there are um, good forces and bad forces, demons and angels, if you want to use that terminology, is it possible to have a good occult that balances out the bad occult?
1: Well, that is not an opinion that um, needs to be disputed, because the Bible is very clear (coughs) that the believer and God's people should never get involved in any form of occultism. Okay. None whatsoever uh the bible condemns this thing and speaks against it again and again uh, and therefore this is not a matter of dispute this is non-negotiable when it comes to christianity we we get our knowledge and our uh, knowledge from scripture we get our power from god we don't have to go beyond scripture and we don't have to search for another power to to get uh, the power if it is not from god it's from the enemy And sometimes he will allow you to have that power because he wants to gain control. Satan never gives you anything except there's a price to be paid. And if you use him and uh, take advantage of his power, there's always some price you have to pay either in your mind, in your family, but there will be consequences when you engage in this kind of activity.
0: As you answer what the occult is, do you believe it's the occult is in Antigua and it's in the Caribbean?
1: Oh yeah, the occult is in Antigua. You you talk to certain people um, in in, in Villa, you you discover, uh, and then um, when you go across the the road where the Villa Baptist Church is, you go behind there, you you talk to a few people, uh, you'll discover, they'll tell you quite frankly, I've spoken to more than one person who indicates that that's real. Um, My sons have had conversations on the internet with people who are in Antigua, whose uh, parents are involved in this kind of stuff and who've had out-of-body experiences and feel that it's the greatest thing in the world. And my son has had to end their debate trying to say that this is not of God but still can't persuade the person. So these things do happen. Uh, And not only in Antigua, by the way, uh, in the Caribbean, um, St. Lucia is known for it Dominica is known for it Haiti for sure is known for it uh, Guyana is, is is known for it as well um, I don't think there's a, a Caribbean island where if you were to visit and talk to certain people in certain areas they'll tell you of course this is real this is very 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 real
0: What's that question that has come in is it okay as a Christian to be afraid of death?
1: We shouldn't fear death but I don't know anybody who doesn't really fear it to some extent death is one of those those uh, in that I don't look forward to it, to be very honest with you. I'd rather be raptured than to die. Uh, and I'm told that it's the greatest terror uh, when a person is, is going out. Uh, that's the final phase that the devil brings all kinds of fears in one's mind. And the only thing you can hold on to in that moment is the blood of Christ and the fact that you've put your faith and trust. Nothing else would matter then. No good works, no church. Uh nothing else would matter than the fact that your your faith is grounded in the finished work of Christ. That's the only means that would bring you any kind of comfort that your 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 faith is in God and in the blood of Christ. But I, I while it should not happen, the truth of the matter is that uh Christians do fear death and because it's such an unknown and even though we do know that after death uh we go to be with the Lord, yet because it's such a mysterious event uh, I do feel that there is uh, a moment of fear and uh, quite frankly, many pastors will tell you if you read some of their uh, their last moments will tell you that they've had fears and people have fears so it's nothing that is unusual and when I hear people say they don't have fear any fear of death I am a little bit hesitant uh, I take them for their word but generally speaking every human being with very few exceptions have an element of fear in respect to death
0: Pastor, I've heard you mention that you believe the Bible uh, covers every topic that we may face. So what biblical passages are there that shed light on the topic of the occult?
1: Well, one of the big passages you'd like to turn to is the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18 and read from verse 9 to 14, where in that passage uh, Moses references uh, eight occult practices that were strictly forbidden by God. Um, if you just go through that passage, just read it. These are things that God said. I don't want you to get involved in these things.
0: Deuteronomy 8, 9, 18, 18. Chapter 18, 9 to 14. All right. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations, there shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. Or th- Nathan,
1: just stop there a minute. Uh, remember that God is delivering Israel from Egypt and carrying them into Canaan. He's about to enter to Canaan to take possession of Canaan, right? And He's warning them that when they're going to Canaan, He says the things that these people were practicing are abomination. Right, I don't want you to engage in these. And he'll talk about what these abominations are right now. So you
0: start to read them. Anyone that makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer, for all that these do for all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God, and verse fourteen says, for these nations which thou shalt possess, hearkened unto observers of time and unto diviners, but as for thee. The Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do
1: Correct You notice that there are nine things that are mentioned First of all is offering the children to, to, to the fire That's offering to Moloch, the god Moloch Where the sacrifice was a baby And Moloch was a, a, a kind of a statue of a person sitting And there was a, a, a kind of a, a hole in his lap And that's where the fire came up And then the child was offered in the lap and burned uh, So it's talking about uh, idolatry and worshipping idols and sacrificing children.
0: And I've then, heard someone compare that, that idolatry, say, you know, we may not be offering in today's society children on on uh, altars with fire, but we are murdering them with uh, abortion. Is that a fair comparison? Uh,
1: um, it's a, co- a fair comparison in the sense that we're actually deliberately murdering Children on the altar Of inconvenience Okay, in, in that sense Right Because A lot of these kids Can be adopted They can be given birth And adopted mm-hmm. There's so many people In the world That would love To have a child There's no justification For the slaughter Of the innocent Murder Ripping children From the from the wound and, and injecting Salt poison Into their beings And turning them Into syrup uh, So In a sense uh, We may condemn And by the way the practice of these people, this was not the, the millions that we're still killing today. So the, what we're doing today in modern society, we're getting more innocent murder on the altar of inconvenience than the heathen offered when it came to children in those days. So, And we have all this biblical knowledge and all this wise civilization, yet we are, we're slaughtering the innocent. So I think we are far more guilty. And we know, for example, that uh, life begins at conception. That's a scientific fact. That's not to be disputed anymore. We know that for a fact. So uh, the heathen, whether they believe in, in, in creation or not, the fact they are. But the, the other thing is divination. Talk about divination. That is fortune telling by magical means. And then they talk the observer of times. That is what you call augury. This is where you would um, try to discern from the, the 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 sky, the color of the sky, whatever it is, uh, whether it's a, a good... Prognostication That you know You got a, a, a good day Coming a bad day Coming a good summer And then the other thing Of course it had to do With going into the Entrails of animals Looking at the liver Looking at the kidneys And part like that And trying to judge The heart Et cetera et cetera That's what meant By observer trying to call called And then enchanter uh, Is a magician Who was able to Cast a, a spell On a person uh, That's what an enchanter is So it has to do with Using demonic spirits t- To cast spells a sorcerer is a, a witch or a witch, uh, witchcraft. Um, and of course, this also involves some forms of astrology where you try to, uh, people's lives are controlled by the stars, etc., etc. A charmer uh, is one who practices uh, miracles by magic, by incantations, and by hypnosis. A consultant with familiar spirits is a person who is a medium who is able to call up. Um, a spirit that imitates the person that is dead—that's uh, what is meant there. And then um, a wizard is a, a kind of a clairvoyant or a psychic; uh, he can see things and, and tell you things that are and 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 etc. And etc. Et so it's a person who uh, really is a, a psychic. And then a necromancer is a person who uh, deals with the dead and calls up the dead. Um, and by the way, some of these um, people who are involved in funeral homes, uh, engaged in this kind of thing. When I was in Barbados, uh, I knew of one, I got c- to be very careful, but that's what they used the, the actual body of the dead and did some things to the body. When we learned that, we had to go to another one, uh, and it was a person's family who actually told us we starting another funeral home, that, that because when my wife's daughter had died, Uh, we were going in one direction and then when we learned this we had to move in a different direction. So a lot of these things are still going on. A lot of evil is still going on. It's just that it's more sophisticated, more hidden and people are not aware, keenly aware, what really is happening today.
0: In the last eight minutes of this episode, is it possible to divide or categorize the occult or the occult practice into various divisions?
1: Yeah, if you look at uh, occultism, um, basically there are three broad divisions. Uh, There is what you call spiritism, there is divination, and there is sorcery or magic. Those are the three main divisions of uh, the occult. So, if people who are involved in spiritism, people who are involved in divination, and people involved in what you call sorcery or magic,
0: can you give an explanation of each of those? Yeah, well, let's
1: take let's take spiritism for example. Spiritism has to do with the matter of consulting the dead. It has to do with necromancy, basically. That's what it is. Uh, and there are certain f- phenomenons phenomena that um, is uh, part of this whole uh, um, necromancy and, and spiritism. Let me talk about first of all. Uh, there is certain physical phenomena that is involved. For example, levitation. People who, are, who that are, really happens. Yeah, that really happens. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the body they have power to make the body rise up off the, off the, um, off the table. I mean, that that happens. It's suspended and nothing, no cords attached. That literally happens. And then there's something called a porch. This is where you can transfer one object from one location without touching it. And actually, you can put an object in a glass case and get it out of the glass case uh, miraculously. These things do happen. It's, uh, it's like a space is created and the, the thing comes through. It's like, because, you know, every atom has space, but this actually happens. And then there's something called uh, telekinesis. This is where a person can use their mind to to move your glass or move a spoon or bend a spoon that's involved in it as well so there's sort of physical phenomena and then there's psychic phenomena involved in this 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 spiritism um there are people who have uh spiritualistic visions uh i think this this pastor that said he had this vision i think he will fall into that category and then there's something called automatic writing people have written books by going into trance and actually wrote the book right under the trance. Don't know why they wrote it, but wrote, 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 wrote the book. And then, of course, there are those who speak in a trance. And Then there are what you call materializations, where you can actually see uh, uh, things form, like um, take human shapes, actually form it's almost like spinning off some kind of cobweb or white stuff that happens it's called materialization and then table lifting as well it's another thing that's practiced during this uh, where the table actually moves off the floor and shakes and uh, there's nobody holding the table and then of course you can get a tumbler or glass move and then there are what you call excursions of the psyche where you can what you call an out of body experience so these are what you call psychic phenomena that happen during uh, spiritism
0: what about divination? And you talked about that some at the very beginning. spirit of divination, is that similar?
1: Well, divination has to do with fortune telling, uh, has to do with obtaining secret, legitimate uh, knowledge of the future. Uh, and there are ten branches of it, basically, today. One is astrology. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about this, by the way, in several parts of scripture. There's also something called cartomancy, where you lay down cards like tarot cards. And you can tell a person's future by that. Like they psychic called they call psychometry, where you determine uh something about the person by by holding some object that the person owns, maybe maybe his watch or or, or maybe his cup or, or or maybe even his clothing. Uh but you're able the person is able to, to do that. And then there's palmistry, where you try to read the the person's lines in the hands of the palms to try to tell the future. That is part of divination as well. And then there's something called the dividing rod and, and, and water. Uh, you're able to use a rod to find where water is, and the stick kind of dips. Uh, that is part of this divination as well, because you're trying to find out something that you don't have through ordinary means. That's another form. And then there's the rod and the pendulum, where you try to locate treasure and objects that a person has lost. Joseph Smith, by the way, would uh, this is what he used to do before he became a great celebrity in the Mormon church. He used to try to find, I think it was Captain King's gold, and he would use uh, the pendulum and the rod, <laughs> trying to find it. And then uh, there are other things as well. There are prophetic dreams and visions that these people have. Uh, another part of this divination is the Ouija board, where you play uh, with numbers and play with letters and they give you some kind of a readout, something, etc. And then there's a crystal ball that is involved, uh, which is involved in that. And then there's clairvoyance, where a person is able to see an object, beyond the normal range of vision. So those are 10 different forms of uh, divination that you find uh, that is mentioned.
0: The third category that you mentioned was magic. Well, magic
1: is the same thing as sorcery, and it has to do really with uh, bringing about results uh, through some supernatural power, enlisting the help of uh, um, supernatural agents, uh, demonic spirits, to bring about results. there are a number of forms of this. For example, black magic—you've probably heard about—where you're using evil forces to to cause harm to people. Um, Haiti is very well known for that, with the what uh, uh, we call Obey and, and that in in Haiti. But that's called black magic. Some people call it uh, call something called white magic as well, where they think they use good forces. That's what you mentioned a moment yeah. ago to bring about good. Again, um, whatever forces a person is using. Uh, that is outside of God is is, is satanic. So there's no way that a person can be involved in what they call good magic. And then there's natural magic where they claim that they're using the forces of nature, Mother Nature, to influence people's decision that people engage in that. Then there's the power of mental suggestion where you can transfer thoughts from your mind into the other person's thoughts. That's another means that is used. And something called magical mesmerism where you heal by touching the person has power and to bring about healing
0: in the last 30 seconds pastor are there any final words of admonition from scripture to tell us what we should deal how we should deal with the occult
1: the scripture is very clear we stay away from these things we don't get involved in them the Bible prohibits it we must put our faith and trust in God let us be absorbed in great thoughts of God remember his power his might and have faith in Him.
0: Thank you for listening to That's Truth. Be sure you tune in next week as we bring you another relevant, practical topic. If you ever have a suggested topic, please contact us here at The Lighthouse and we would love for your input on what topics we should discuss in the future. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's Truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM, If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.